so a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Yeah, you do. I know. It's just so boring. Read your Bible, Katie. <laughs> okay, Pastor Preston. Um, how do you podcast? I don't know. Wow. I've only been doing this for two whole years. As of no, that was our last one. We didn't celebrate our two-year anniversary. No, this one would be because we missed Christmas last year. This is our two-year anniversary. Yeah, this is the beginning of October, two years later. <laughs> this yep. is our two-year anniversary episode, guys, of the, the Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. So I just squealed, but didn't actually do like a preamble of what we're talking about. <laughs> That's okay. I have an idea. Oh. Well, I guess we should share it with our listeners. <laughs> The world is a chaotic place, especially in Spooktober, <gasps> filled with children who want to dress up as princesses, cats, culturally insensitive depictions of historical figures and racial stereotypes, of course. superheroes, transformers, pumpkins, and monsters of all kinds. <gasps> How do we explain all of that chaos? Same way that we explain all of the chaos in the world. Monsters! Monsters! <laughs> Can we put in... Um... That's all I'm going to say so we don't get sued. <laughs> uh, monsters are messing around with the world. On this episode, the two-year anniversary episode of the, the Holy, Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. I don't know which one we're going to keep. Maybe both. We'll see. All right. <laughs> so, what monsters. Why are we talking about monsters? Because it's Spooktober. <laughs> I guess so. But, what? okay, what do monsters have to do with religion? Monsters actually have a huge role in a lot of religions, and we'll get into that. They're not necessarily evil. The word demonstrate shares a common root, connecting monsters to revelation, which... The monster ate. Exactly. Okay. But not in the D as in, like, defenestrate, but, like, D as in, like, delineate. Oh, okay. To to add lines. So that you are able to understand what you're looking at. And so this idea of demonstration, connecting monsters to Revelation, brings to mind the monsters of the revelations of Ezekiel and John in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles. Oh, yeah. The one with all the legs and heads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are just insane to imagine. Oh, or once you see them, you you go go insane. insane. We'll touch on those. Sometimes we'll hear stories of monstrous births. These are seen as communications of divine judgment, either on the family or the person giving birth or the the father of the child, or sometimes as the whole community. Ooh. Yeah. Lots of fun. And now the monster from 300 comes to mind. And he's not even that monstrous compared to the fellas we're going to talk about. I was going to say, I haven't seen 300. (laughs) Fair enough. He's just a severely deformed man oh that's not very nice right but when we talk about monster historically speaking that is actually what we're talking about fair yeah with you know frankenstein's monster yeah who's just a hodgepodge (laughs) he's not just a deformed man he is a jigsaw puzzle where you took different pieces from different boxes and hope you got something looked okay i mean we do it with lego all the time (laughs) right Kit bashing is a real thing if you're into building models of cool things. 
Right. So Timothy Beale, in his book, Religion and Its Monsters, says that the otherness of the monster is not only horrifically unnatural, but also horrifically supernatural, charged with religious import. Uh, and Maria Lenquit wrote about these monstrous births that they were seen as sometimes the product of the mother's imagination or even unfulfilled desires. Oh. Which brings to mind the, the Jersey Devil. There's the cryptid of New Jersey, I guess. Mm. I remember hearing about it before I even lived there. And it's this woman had had so many children. I think I think it was a full dozen. And then this she was pregnant one more time and she's like, let this one be the devil. And then it turned out to be the devil. Cool. <laughs> and a lot of people died. And there's still sightings every now and then. It's crazy. Wow. Cool. Uh, even the word awful reveals religious respect. Now I'm thinking of um, George in the Jungle, where the the narrator says that the people respond with awe, and they go, aww. But then it's like, A-W-E. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I remember I had a, I think it was an English, it must have been an English teacher, say that we use the word awesome wrong. Like we use mm-hmm. it for everything, but very rarely do we use it for something that actually describes Aw. Right? It's a problem. We just get lazy with our language. I mean, at one point it would have been a $10 work. And then it became a 10 cent word. We cheapened that word. Awesome. Very few things in life are truly awesome, but I know I throw it out far too often. (laughs) I think that that is just generally the case for our whole culture. Our show is awesome, though. I think so. But you're already listening. You don't need to be yeah, convinced. But you could share it with a friend and <laughs> hopefully they'll get it. them in on the awe. Ooh. <laughs> so chaos. A wild concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about chaos monsters specifically. And the name chaos comes from the Greek tradition describing the void that existed before the creation of the cosmos. And so, yeah, that's a generally accepted definition i have a few other quotes and things to flush that out good old phericides of Syros, who lived like 2600 years ago described chaos as being the water that surrounds the world that the earth had come up from which is a pretty cool idea especially when you're in a nation that's a lot of islands that makes a lot of sense and pretty easy to to buy into here. Yes, there's a lot of water descriptions of chaos. Start researching chaos. Right. And of course, life on the sea, the, the waves get chaotic. Now, we're talking about a guy who lived in the Mediterranean. Not really that big of a body of water compared to any of our oceans. Imagine if this guy had seen the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> there's chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and from this idea, kind of going a different wave in Phericides of Syros, the Dutch gave us the word gas from a different interpretation of chaos, that it's more ethereal, still fluid, technically, but not liquid. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see some examples when we talk about some monsters mm-hmm. of both. Chaos is said to be the disorganized true foundation of reality. That's a good definition. Sure. Everything comes from chaos, and if you're the kind of person who believes in the final entropy then that's what everything is going to come back to as well. Yeah. So the term chaos is used in science as well Mm -hmm. for, you know, what was here before the Big Bang. 
And it's used throughout religious studies. So yes, it's, it was in the Greek tradition, but we use it as a term in religious studies. And that's what we're talking about today because we're a religious studies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That was a terrible segue. Over to you, Preston. Uh, yep. <laughs> Ovid described chaos as rude and undeveloped mass that nothing made except a ponderous weight and all discordant elements confused were there congested in a shapeless heap. Love it. Right. I think it's interesting, just reminded that a lot of Christian philosophers like to talk about how God created the universe from nothing. And that's not a popular belief among all the world religions. A lot more are inclined to say, no, it was a disorganized mess of stuff, and the gods formed. They organized things. it. Yeah. They're the professional organizers of the skies. Right. They create order out of chaos. I like or that. the cosmos huh. literally means order. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense from, um, you know, I mean, we shared a post on our Discord recently as a reason to believe in God, which I disagreed with. But, you know, that was one of the things is he creates order. He makes things make sense. Mm-hmm. There you go. You don't have to be a god to make things make sense, but no, that apparently it was enough for him. Enough for him. <laughs> Hesiod um, described chaos as the gaping void above the earth, created when earth and sky are separated from their primordial unity. I guess this connects to the idea of um, the sky actually being a firmament, a solid dome. So you put all that work into separating these two solid things, and then you get chaos in the middle. I mean, a vacuum is a little chaotic. I mean, it's the black hole would actually be a great example of chaos. Yeah. It's the opposite of what I said, but it's still true. Okay. <laughs> black hole is very much the opposite of a vacuum. Yeah. Well, yes. But I, in my <laughs> but brain, it sucks things in. Absolutely. So that's a vacuum. Yeah. It sucks. It's... <laughs> Don't at me. So when Preston said we're doing an episode on chaos monsters, I was like, you need to write an outline because I have no idea what a chaos monster is. But doing this research, here is my definition as we move on to actual chaos monsters, is that they're the creatures that filled the void before whatever god you prefer stepped in to make things happen. Chaos monsters. Yeah. You take the chaos and you take the monster definition and you smoosh them together. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Broadly speaking, the wild, everything that is unknown out in the forest, out in the wilderness, beyond the the boundaries of our community, is the the visible chaos of the world. So a lot of times you'll see just animals, the wild animals in general, they embody chaos and wildness. And that makes some pretty good sense. And there's also a struggle between chaos and the people who try to impose order you're trying to expand the boundaries of your community you're trying to travel safely in the wilderness you have to impose this order on these creatures and that's all just microcosms of the great struggle i suppose this chaos kampf and i wish i'd written down who had first coined this word some german fella clearly <laughs> that that struggle against chaos Usually from gods trying to impose order. I like it. Yeah. So my favorite of the chaos monsters oh. is Jormungandr. 
Oh, Jarmungandr. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned him before on the podcast, probably in our Norse mythology episode. Uh, he is the world serpent. His name, Jarmungandr, literally means huge monster. Not a terribly descriptive name, but a little bit. We have some measure of beauty and some measure of size. He big, he ugly. <laughs> Jarmungandr. I laughed really hard at that post about Jesus. Oh, yeah? Being bigger than a... <laughs> bigger than a baby. Yeah, smaller than, than a temple. temple. <laughs> I, I showed a lot of people that and brought joy to my life. Uh, more reasons to be on our Discord. Uh, the link is in our show notes. Uh, so Jormungandr is the son of Loki and Angerboda. Uh, has a couple of siblings. Sleepnir would be his... Sleepnir. There's Fenrir and Hela. Loki and Angerboda are both giants. Roughly human-shaped giants. They have one human-form child that I can remember off the top of my head, and that's Hela. <laughs> Everything else is a weird animal. Yeah. Well, okay, to be fair, Sleepnir is not the son of Angerboda. He's, and he's not, a, I was going to say he's not even Loki's son. No, Loki isn't his dad. Loki is his mom. Yeah. <laughs> Because you can be gender fluid when you're a shapeshifter. Life is great. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so weird family tree, all weird. Jormungandr was this serpent thing. And there was this prophecy that warned Odin that Jormungandr, Fenrir, and Hel would all be trouble. Sleepnir, not so much. Sleepnir ended up being helpful to Odin. But those three, the, the three children of Angerboda, would all be trouble. So Odin split them up. He sent Jormungandr to the seas of Midgard, where he grew enough to make sure that he was going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, and when Ragnarok comes, Thor and Jormungandr will kill each other in this epic battle. Well, one of many conflicts that build up Ragnarok. But Thor's final conflict. Yep. <laughs> Jormungandr does kill Thor. There's... They have a few stories where they are in conflict with each other. Um, there's one time where Thor is having his little contest with the giants. And they say, here, lift up this cat. It's not a cat. It's Jormungandr with a glamour spell over it. So I was going to say, is he wearing cat ears? <laughs> almost that bad. And Thor is able to lift up Jormungandr a little bit. Now remember, this is a giant serpent that goes around Midgard. And Thor just huh, huh, pushes him up over his head. And this cat that everyone else can see, because they don't see the snake, gets one of its feet off the ground because Thor has lifted it so high off the ground. And everyone's super impressed because a bunch of other people recognize this cat is not what it looks like. And so they, they start getting a little nervous because if Thor had lifted Jormungandr off the ground completely, that would symbolically bring absolute chaos to the world. Yeah, you're lifting so That displaces a lot of water. It displaces a lot of water. It's symbolically um, moving the boundaries of reality. We got problems. Oh, that's a good story. <laughs> yeah. And... Then there's another time where Thor goes fishing specifically for Jormungandr. And he is about to pull Jormungandr out of the water. 
because Thor is just that strong to pull a world-encircling serpent out of the water. (laughs) And somebody else cuts his line for fear of ruining the boundaries of the world. (laughs) Wow. Because he sees Thor is going to do it. (laughs) Thor is the, the mightiest of all of the gods in Norse mythology, according to the tales that we have. So, some fun stuff. I like it. The one who is able to control and actually have meaningful conflict with Jormungandr, who will eventually kill him. So Jormungandr is the embodiment of the chaos of transformation, most specifically. Uh, This is a pretty common symbol for snakes throughout most of the Old World, throughout Eurasia and Northern Africa, at least. That, you know, just as snakes shed their skin, that's a transformation. This symbol comes along, but specifically Jormungandr is also really tied to chaos. And so he's given credit for earthquakes, floods, tidal waves, all of the bad things that are the ground moving. (laughs) Then we have Tannin, who is a Canaanite chaos monster. Mm -hmm. Also a sea monster depicted as a servant. Most of them are, which is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like Jormungandr, uh, Tannin bodies chaos, but is a servant of Yam. God of the sea. Which is different than a sweet potato. (laughs) Could have fooled me. Uh, Oh boy, that was a terrible joke. Uh, (laughs) Before the end of all, Tannen is defeated by Baal, or the equivalent of Thor of the Middle East, and his sister Anat. So as the Hebrews monopolized the lands of Canaan, they adopted some of their mythology. Tannen is the great whale from Genesis 121 and the King James Version of the Bible. Mm-hmm. In Isaiah's prophecy, Jehovah takes the, are we saying Yahweh? You can say whatever name you want. Of God. I spelled it with four letters. I know. <laughs> what do you say? That depends entirely on who I'm talking to. I'll say Yahweh, even though it's spelled with a J and it's getting confusing. Okay. Yahweh takes the place of Baal in the defeat of Hanan. The word Tannin appears more than a dozen times in the Hebrew Bible, variously translated as a sea monster, great whale, dragon, or jackal. The jackal's interesting to me. Because right? it's not water-based. Right. It's more connected to Egypt, mm, specifically, right. and the Hebrew relationships with that nation. Fair. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both use the name Tannin to refer poetically to the kings of Egypt and Babylon, which is how we get that jackal. Oh, okay. I get it. Aaron's stick that turned it into a serpent turned into a tannin. Yeah. I think it's really nifty that the word tannin in Hebrew today, refers to crocodiles, which would have been a way more epic scene in The Prince of Egypt if it throws down a stick and it turns into a crocodile instead of a snake. And then we got crocodiles eating each other in the king's court. That would have been epic. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, there's a wide variety of snakes. Yeah. But if I had to pick between a snake and a crocodile to take on, I'd pick a snake most times. Mm Mm-hmm. Just saying. That's fair. Crocodiles aren't venomous as far as I know. but that They're big and move fast. Oh, yeah. The snakes are pretty quick, though. Well, I guess it depends a lot on the snake. Right? (laughs) That's why, I mean, I put an asterisk on the snake. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Anyway. So, as much as we could postulate all kinds of ideas, it, it is generally agreed that it was a stick turning into a snake. But... The word we have is tannin, which usually is treated like a serpent, but could totally be something different. Words, man. 
an ancient history. Right. And Languages change too much over time. In the Ugaritic tradition, tannin is also known as lotin, meaning coiled. So definitely a... <laughs> yeah, we can say with great certainty here that we're talking about a serpent. In some sources, the lotin is said to have seven heads. It's it's rare enough to see a two-headed snake. Is it St. John the Baptist? <laughs> I doubt it. Okay. That's, that's a little, a few too many heads for okay. St. John the Baptist. Uh, Litani River in Lebanon is named for Lotan as it winds through the valley. This is the visible representation for their chaos monster in their day-to-day life. And the Leviathan, which I think is probably one of the most well-known chaos monsters. When you say chaos monsters, that's where my brain went, at least. Um, is also derived from the Lotan, referring to the same monster in a very similar story. Yeah, the word Leviathan today is used in Hebrew to refer to whales, but anciently there's still loads of argument about what it is they were actually talking about at the time. Godzilla. Who knows? (laughs) Um, It is theorized that Leviathan's power was deliberately downplayed in the Hebrew Bible by later editors to reflect a stricter monotheism so that there wasn't... Oh, the Leviathan was so powerful that... Oh, right. Wow. Uh, I mean, there's still parts of it that are left in. Isaiah talks about how Yahweh will overcome Leviathan in the same way that we saw Baal and Thor defeat their chaos monsters. But it doesn't jump out at you so much in the Hebrew Bible text as it does in a lot of other traditions. Cool. The Babylonian tradition calls this serpent the Tiamat, and he is slain by Marduk. Yeah, the Babylonian version only has one head, contrary to the D&D Tiamat that has five heads, like Hiram McDaniels and John the Baptist. Uh, And the Greeks adopted this dragon-slaying god-king motif from the further east. Um, This gives us Typhon, who was killed by Zeus. Though part of the story is also connected to Set, the Egyptian god of the desert, and chaos and destruction and whatnot. Nice. Yeah. But the idea of the many-headed dragon... Is a thing that is also familiar to those who only passively read the Revelation of John, uh, that you don't even have to have read it through or been seriously interested. If you've got a passive interest, you've seen images of the dragon. Absolutely. Yeah. Even um, the Red Dragon, the Hannibal Lecter book, mm-hmm. all about this imagery of the dragon. Uh, the movie we talked about a couple weeks ago, A Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. mentioned i think you even see a many-headed dragon in the movie from the 70s so highly recommend <laughs> <laughs> yeah no every story that's based on trying to set the revelation of john into developing history and the modern world as we see it if you don't have a dragon what are you doing <laughs> dragons are pretty cool and pretty popular and of course i've shown up all through European mythology. They're my favorite mythical creature, fun fact. Dragons are pretty great. Right? All right. Now, we've played with some Irish folklore a few times before, and I'm not sure how we let this one just kind of slip away unnoticed. We, I mean, we talked about the Fomorians in passing in our episode for Ever sure. so briefly. Yeah, because we had a whole... <laughs> however many century <laughs> history to go through. So we'll deeper dive. Sure. Still not a deep dive, but we'll go a little deeper. 
for the Fomorians. So they were the inhabitants of the island of Ireland before the Tuatha Dinanan. And they were said to have embodied the wild aspects of nature. Chaos. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, also representing darkness, destruction, and death. Um, and they either come from the ground or, you guessed it, under the sea. Under the sea. I was sea. literally going to say, under the sea. Uh, I'm glad we share it with lens. <laughs> We've been doing this long enough. Right. Uh, they are thought of either as fey folk or as giants. And we'll see the giants being... Cha- I don't want to call them chaos monsters, but I guess they are chaos monsters in a lot of traditions. They, that there were giants before there were other things. Yeah, giants, gigantes tend to represent that wild, uncivilized part of the world. Anciently, giants weren't necessarily like eight, nine, ten feet tall or anything. They were just wild, feral people. Mm-hmm. But we've decided we can make them scarier if we make them bigger. And that that became the standard for giants. Oh. Yeah. Cool. And now when we talk about giants, you have to think of somebody who's taller than average. Yeah. (laughs) I have a friend and her dad is one inch shorter than being considered a giant. And her mom is one inch taller than being considered a little person. (laughs) The daughters are all average height. (laughs) I like this. There you go. The Fomorians are also described as sea raiders, so connecting to the Vikings at the time that would have raided the island. So it's easy to make someone look extra bad. Right. But it's also a great way to make your tradition more concrete, more real, something that somebody has actually experienced. But Vikings. (laughs) They lost the Battle of Moitura. And the mythological value of this battle is comparable to the battle between the Greek Olympians and the Titans. So the Titans exist in both for the Olympians. And to the battle between the Norse Aesir and the Vanir. But this, but this Irish tale is more about overcoming chaos than the other two are. Yeah, it's the other two are more about just taking power rather than organization. Organization, yeah. yeah. So they weren't eradicated, just pushed out of the land, but they reappear in stories occasionally. Yeah. I I would imagine you still hear stories that are like recent history of somebody's talking about the Fomorians. We'll have to check. Right? In the weird way that the British are obsessed with connecting to the Bible, the Rollins manuscript connects the Fomorian brass to a line of 25 generations to the biblical Noah. Yeah. We'll see that actually in the Hawaiian tradition when we talk about it as well. Sure. Cool. I remember when I started doing my family history, I right away had a line all the way back to Adam because you go back enough generations and I connect to the royal family through William the Conqueror, who, of course, I mean, if you're English, you got like a 50% chance of connecting to William the Conqueror. (laughs) It's terrible. And questionable in legitimacy. Uh, But then he connects himself through a line that's almost 100% made up into the royal family of Israel, of which, of course, Goes back. family history from the royal family of Israel is is written down in the Bible all the way back to Adam. So I've got a line that's recorded. It is dubious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian, my husband, and our sound guy, we got him all the way back to the year 100. Nice. For the same reason he hit some royal family on one side or the other and... Then it's then the work is done. Right. But yes, 
dubious at best when uh, <laughs> someone, hopefully someone's fact-checking it, but I remember hearing on QI mm-hmm. that anyone of, like, white Caucasian Anglo-Saxon descent is related to Charlemagne because if you do the math of like I have two parents four grandparents eight great-grandparents 16 great-great-grandparents 32 Mm -hmm. on and on and on that there were more fewer people on the planet than you would have ancestors in the time of Charlemagne okay Right. So if you did the math, and then figured, good. right. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that, you know, at some point you have, cause it's all exponential. Right. Eventually you hit more ancestors than there were people on the planet. So ergo, you are your own cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the math of the constantly exponentially expanding tree becomes a problem when you do, when you fail to recognize that a lot of these people are the same people in separate branches. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Brian's my 10th cousin. Only 10th. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Just so our listeners know, 10th is not actually very close at all. <laughs> it's not weird. It's, it's not the 10th child of your uncle. <laughs> no. He's <laughs> 10 removed. <laughs> 10 degrees of separation yes. genetically. Yes. So That's a okay. We're not having kids anyway. So right. Well, I'm. Your first cousins are legal in a lot of the world. I think even where we are. I think where we are. I, I, it's not a thing I've looked Do into. You haven't looked into that? Uh, no, no interest? Okay. I'm married to somebody who's not my cousin. <laughs> okay. That's not something I've been stressed out about. <laughs> oh, boy. This was a digression. So, anyway. Uh, Back to chaos. The Fomorians are related to Noah. That's all you need to know. Maybe. That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> if they have... Too many ancestors. That's probably what I mean. Twenty-five yeah. generations. I think it's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna carry off on this tangent just a little bit. <laughs> Again, um, <laughs> in genetics, we talk about a genetic Adam and a genetic Eve, Y chromosome Adam, and mitochondrial Eve specifically. And I think we, because of the biblical narrative, it's a little bit weird that we do that. We could talk pretty fairly about a Y chromosomal Noah. I was going to, I was, actually was going to say, yeah, I would talk about it later, but they, God wiped off everyone on the planet except for Noah and his family. So Adam and Eve are moot. Well, so we, we can still talk about a Y, a y chromosomal Noah and a mitochondrial Eve. But you'd never be their descendants. No, that's that's the whole okay. point. That you are. You, I have to, okay. You are connected to what is scientifically designated right. mitochondrial Eve. Okay, and yeah. I am for sure scientifically proven connected to Y chromosomal Noah or Adam, depending on which label you want to prefer to use. But there is absolute certainty that these two speculative figures in in our scientific world scientific certainty that they are far removed in time from mm, one another interesting so oh so even you Noah don't want a... adam and eve you do want noah eve. and eve yeah. for this analogy interesting yeah. okay thanks some nifty science that was interesting <laughs> on a religion podcast who would have thought right <laughs> our next chaos monster is from the japanese shinto tradition amatsu mikaboshi it's a little bit of a mouthful. It, I saw it hyphenated like it. a lot, and that helped a lot. Yeah. Amatsu Mikamoshi. Mm-hmm. 
So originally the origins of this deity are a malevolent Shinto god, also known as Primal Chaos. I love it. This is this is great. You'll love this one. His name translates to the Dread Star of Heaven. Metal song in the making. Right. That that's a great name. I'm curious which star in the sky is connected to this figure. To, to for this to be a name, there has to be one star in the sky that's connected. I feel like it'd be something like Venus, where like they didn't Could realize be. it was not right, but it'd have some color to it and look. Yeah, and something that moves yeah. a little bit in the sky, like not reliable. Could yeah, be. I'm I'm on board. Something that deserves a little bit more research later, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it was tough because records are spotty on this guy, but the general consensus is that he doesn't have a corporeal form, but is instead described as a dark force that existed before the universe. Chaos. Yeah, sure. Before the universe, you got darkness. It's cool. Some sources say that he is an aura or energy that kind of floats around the world and influences things. Okay. Now I'm thinking of that weird green smoke from Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, except oh. that was actually an agent of God, not chaos. How do we know? <laughs> we only have the story to go on. That was, that's an old story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shinto, the the religion, religion Shinto promotes balance. So Amatsumi Kaboshi is associated with the negative emotions that bring the world out of balance, like greed or anger or envy. And I also read that, like, he's attracted to those people feeling those things, and he, like, amplifies it in them. Ooh. Which kind of makes sense, right? If you're an angry person, you have a really chaotic, angry life. And it... Well, and you can see this in um, mob mentality. If you see somebody who's got a little bit of negativity, and if it has any value to the group, they will amplify it. Yeah. That's a good way to describe this guy. Yeah. I like that. Another descriptor I saw of him that I like, really liked was destructive disharmony. This guy is super badass. Right. Which is exciting because Amatsumi Kaboshi is actually in the Marvel Universe. That was actually a lot of the records I found on him were like Marvel <laughs> comics. And I was like, that's not a good source for this. This isn't really just um, <laughs> Maybe he'll show up in the future Shang-Chi project. Right. So I actually am excited to see... What I don't know. I just saw a bunch of stuff on Phase Six, mm, so yeah. I'm sure we'll start to see. We're gonna start pulling more obscure characters now that the popular ones are retired, right? Or dead. Yeah, <gasps> a lot of dead superheroes. Yeah, so maybe he'll show up too. <laughs> All right. Next on our list of chaos monsters, I want to throw in some fiction, just cause. How do we know it's fiction? Well, the fellow who wrote about Cthulhu, <gasps> Howard Phillips Lovecraft introduced Cthulhu and never said, oh yeah, this is a real thing I think about. He was an atheist. He just really liked writing stories about cosmicism, the idea that nothing on earth matters and only persists because the chaotic forces, the great old ones and the elder gods, actually he never used the term elder gods, that was later writers, the outer gods allowed the world to persist. (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft has an extensive pantheon to the point oh, yeah. where I think it almost deserves its own episode. I also just want to point out that H.P. Lovecraft was, Craft was a huge racist. Yeah. So I um, always a little torn on like enjoying his novels. As he aged, he did become less prom- problematically racist. He was he, problematically racist. Though. He wasn't wildly racist compared to his contemporaries. 
back when racism wasn't thought to be a problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was super racist re- relative to what we're familiar with in the world today. He definitely really, really preferred people who were white or who were doing a good job of adopting white culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just all whites, specifically English. So you could be German, Polish, Irish, French. Doesn't like you. It's no jobs for Italians as, or Irish. Yeah, it's not as good as English, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time reading Lovecraft. I had a nice little stint for a little over a year where that was the only fiction I was reading for a little while. Just because some fun stories. Did you go insane? No. Oh. Of course, that's not how you get that answer. You can't ask somebody if they're insane. That's true. That's catch 22. Because in reality, everybody on this planet is insane except me. (laughs) Wow. If you believe this sen- this sentiment for yourself, get checked. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the great old ones. They defy any laws of space and time. So this is why they fall under yeah. chaos. Well, and some of them exist outside the universe as we know it. H.P. Lovecraft wrote about different dimensions. He wrote about gods that existed in weird ways that don't even make sense. And that... Exposure to them would cause you to be insane, for sure, 100% of the time. Which is actually a really cool form of internalized chaos, Mm -hmm. that madness. So I I think it's kind of interesting. So I decided to to highlight a couple of my favorites for you. I've got Nier Lothotep, who is modeled after the old Egyptian styles, mostly when you see him. He's described as looking distinctly like an old pharaoh. He is called the Crawling Chaos, and he manifests the mockery of the universe against the attempts of mortal man to understand and rule the world. He's just, he's here to mess you up, is really the short form of it. (laughs) Um, He doesn't like murdering people. That's not a thing that's entertaining to him. And he's all about fun. But his fun, not your fun. (laughs) It brings him great pleasure (laughs) to make you go insane. That's cool, I guess. Right? He is actively engaged in ruining the world instead of being asleep like a lot of the gods or drifting out in space in exile like a lot of Lovecraft's old gods. Just an absolute agent of chaos. It's perfect. Then there's Azathoth, who is chaotic in what I think is a really interesting yet weird way. That he is the accidental creator of the universe. A little, it's a little bit deistic, but even in deism, it's usually acknowledged that the universe is created on purpose. But like a watch, you just let it go. And here we have a god who is called the blind idiot, right? Because Azathoth has no idea that this universe even exists. He isn't paying attention to it, but it is the product of his sleeping imagination. Cool. Yeah, he's just unaware and chaos populates this world with everything and as he shifts in his sleep the universe shifts which sounds terrifying at any given moment things that you are familiar with gone or terribly changed insanity lovecraft is 
a weird kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. He had a great imagination. I'll give him that. Right. It's probably really fucked up. I mean, probably. <laughs> I mean, um, I just want to point out that during a contentious political uh, election, mm-hmm. when you're eight, had a sign that said, why choose lesser evil? Cthulhu. 20 whatever. I don't remember what year it was. It's three or four years I, ago. I think you printed a few of these and we bought one, I think. Yeah, that's when we were neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't remember what year that was. Clearly, it was at least... It's been a little while. Three or four years ago now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, why choose a lesser evil? <laughs> <laughs> uh, those sounds mixed with the miming of a face tentacles. Why not vote Cthulhu? Why not vote Cthulhu? <laughs> That's his debate. Mm-hmm. The great thing is, if you see Cthulhu and most of these great old ones, you just go nuts. Yeah. So show up to a rally and you might just vote for him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, boy. So let's uh, move on. We're going to... Maybe something less terrifying. <laughs> and talk about Kukaua Kahi, a Hawaiian chaos god. That's that's a lot of K's. <laughs> yeah, did you know the Hawaiian alphabet has like 11 letters in it? And K, U, and A are definitely three of them. <laughs> also H say. and W. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure in Kukaua Kahi, and then I have a brackets Hawaiian, so we know what we're talking about. That's like the entire alphabet. Kukawakahi. Kaua? Oahu? Oh, because Oahu. <laughs> I can't. I'm... Kukawakahi. Thanks. That's Preston. how I read that. I hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> wow. Kukawakahi is a triad of three gods, Kane, Lono, and Ku. And they existed before creation. Ku and Kane are twin brothers. And Cain is, like, at the top of the Hawaii pantheon. So think of Zeus. Sure. Even though he's in this triad. Right. Zeus was in triads. We talked about Oh, that. right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And Hawaiian chiefs are said to be the descendants of Cain. Mm-hmm. And the three of them represent sound, substance, and sunlight. Which I really like that alliteration that encompasses right. a lot of stuff. Right. And also, that's some great poetry when we're talking about things across linguistic boundaries. That's right. Work. Yeah. <laughs> po is the Hawaiian name of chaos in their creation myth. So at some point, Cain realized that he was a separate entity from Po, and he worked to separate himself. But there are there are multiple versions of the Hawaiian creation myth. So one is where Cain is the initial mover, and he existed this chaos before time, light, or space, and he created Ku and Lono, and all three of them created the universe together. And another version of them has all three of them existing in a deep and intense night and then creating the universe together by shattering into pieces. Wow. Yeah. And then to the point of the everyone likes to make things part of the Bible, Mm -hmm. they talk about Cain as like the son of the universe and they talk about the land of Cain. It's like they're really just trying to get those in there. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So that's the Hawaiian story. And reading this, I um, we have it on our list, but I'm very excited to do the Hawaiian religion. I read a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get on that. Yeah. All right. So I figure some of these 
biblical figures deserve just a little bit extra attention. Um, we talked about Leviathan already, that it's a primeval sea monster, generally considered specifically to be female, as opposed to Jormungandr that was male. And, of course, connected to other Near Eastern and Middle Eastern and Mesopotamian sea monsters as well. But Leviathan is very often paired with this other fella called the Behemoth, which, of course, is a word that's tricky and lost to us in the antiquity, just like Leviathan. Sometimes the word is used to describe an ox or an elephant or a hippopotamus. We don't really know for sure what the monster looked like. Uh, yeah, and there's a there's a third monster that in rabbinical writings and in Jewish mythology, you'll hear about paired with them. Uh, Zeeds, the a primeval bird monster. Cacau. Some versions of the monster, he looks a lot like a griffin. Persian version of Zeeds is very certainly a griffin. Um, but he's also equated with the phoenix of Greece and similar things. But he is so huge, I think it's pretty fair to compare him to Rock of Northern uh, European traditions, where he's just this giant bird. He is mentioned twice in the Hebrew Bible, but not given any detail at all. It's just, and this animal does this thing, it eats stuff. Cool. Th- this context, it could have been a, a dog. <laughs> smaller than a temple bigger than a baby <laughs> right uh though Z's is generally thought to be much larger than a temple <laughs> okay bigger than a temple there's there's one spot where he's written in the rabbinical writings as bonking his head against the firmament he is that big wow yeah now imagine having a creature that size in this world that would be a very bad thing <laughs> terrifying i like how there's an earth water and air monster right those are the the three big monsters and they are all connected to chaos though leviathan more than the other two in within the hebrew bible but in greater tradition they're all pretty chaotic and they'll fight each other all kinds of fun cool and we had talked about giants before we have the giborim and the nephilim or the giborim and nephilim you're the one who speaks hebrew (laughs) Right? And even I don't have a solid answer for this. They are basically the giants before the flood. Of course, we could be talking about two different groups, maybe giants and titans. Being a Mediterranean people, their cultures were borrowing myths all around that body of water for a long time. And so things get a little bit fuzzy, but the stories are very similar in a lot of ways. And I'm pretty sure we're looking at giants and titans. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of nifty. Nice. And the unicorn shows up in the Bible, too. I don't think it's ever been a chaos monster. It's just an animal that gets mentioned a few times. And for some reason, King James Version and and later versions that like it a lot stuck with the word unicorn. It wasn't a unicorn. (laughs) (gasps) What? The Re'em is what is translated as unicorn. Um, a lot of people were pretty sure that it means a one-horned animal. It may have been a rhino. It may have been a wild buffalo. It could potentially, actually even, a lot of people are very sure it was very likely the extinct aurochs. Or it could have been a ram or an antelope. 
there's so much. The language has changed too much since then that we just don't know for sure what they're talking about. Hey, is this why people believe in unicorns like well into the 1400s? Probably. Wow. <laughs> well, okay. We can't blame the King James Bible translation for the belief in unicorns because that wasn't published until mm. 1611. But people talking about unicorns and labeling things as unicorns that we're definitely not. I have long tradition of white folks. Yes. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> Chaos monsters are a lot of fun. And it's a great answer for why things are the way they are. You know, we pray to God for good weather and we have these storms. Is there a, a god of storms that we've angered? No, it was a chaos monster. Earthquakes? Well, it's not the gods in the heavens giving us earthquakes. It's a chaos monster underneath. Short, easy answers. Easy answers. <laughs> easy answers that develop into really cool mythologies over time. Yeah, I also think it's really interesting how many of these creatures have entered pop culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Whether, yeah. I mean, Bryant was reading a book called Leviathan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's all civil politics and whatnot, though, isn't sure. it? Sure. But yeah. the fact that the name appears elsewhere and... There's Marvel characters, and I'm sure there's other comic books or... Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, man, even Googling Chaos Monsters, I had to, like, omit Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> sure. I Googled Chaos Monsters, it was all Yu-Gi-Oh, so I had to, like, figure out how to eliminate a search term when I was Googling. Google needs to learn your... Fun fact, if you put a minus word. sign in front of a Google search term, it will admit it. So I said, Chaos Monster minus Yu-Gi-Oh. It didn't even give me Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. It gave me so much... Research. What? No. <laughs> I don't Google know. Google knows my patterns better. Okay. I was gonna what does it say? Why does it think I like Yu-Gi-Oh? I don't know. <laughs> I'm offended, Google. Uh, oh, anyway. Well. Yeah. We so get what we get. And get what we get. <laughs> wow. If you wanna make order from chaos, you know how you can do that? Join our Discord. Join our Discord. I actually got a message from someone recently that said they are obsessed with our Discord. Yeah? That's some good Yeah, news. it made me very happy. So if you want to be obsessed with social media, too, <laughs> check out our Discord. Lots of memes, lots of great conversations. We're having a movie night. Movie nights. Yeah. On a semi-regular basis. Of course, we've also got our Facebook, our Instagram, YouTube. We've also got Spreadshop, where you can buy some pretty cool gear. Mugs, aprons, onesies t-shirts, tote bags, whatever you're after. We've got some great pictures to slap on those things. Help us. Yeah, help us support the podcast and keep it going. And if you don't want to buy stuff, but you still want to help us out, Patreon is great. We've also got a lot of exclusive content on there that you can't get anywhere else. So help motivate you to pay a little bit to help support our show. Thanks for joining us. Peace be with you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecy. Thank you.